Go wild with Nation Gear's end of regular season merch madness sale. Nation Gear is offering our favorite fans 20% off all regular season merch. And we're going to give you free shipping on any orders over $200. Stock up your closet for the playoffs. Rep your team and grab that merch you've been eyeing up all season long. Don't wait. This sale only lasts from April 1st until April 7th. Shop the sale at nationgear.ca. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is the Puck Poolies Podcast with Matt Larkin and Stephen Ellis. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a new edition of Puck Poolies. It's Matt Larkin here with my old pal, Stephen Ellis. And, you know, I'm a little more reluctant than normal to talk about my fantasy league things took a turn last week but you start Stephen. what's going on in your league right now well i think i figured out what happened to you then um but in my league we just started the playoffs uh, this week and i'm playing the team that has not won yet this season because we have a rule where um that you know there's some actual value in getting the first overall pick um because it's an auction draft but the idea is that you get one player for free doesn't matter who it is in the league so there's some incentive to lose this year I'm losing to that guy right now, but that's a story for another day. Uh, in, in terms of uh, last week, it, it it was a really tough one where I had some guys injured, Tate Chumps and not playing, and it, it was like, uh-oh, this, this isn't going so well. But I really needed a good final day, and I picked up Joseph Wool, and I think it was Joel Hofer I still had in the lineup, and I got the goaltending I needed. I won by four points, which is good after losing by, like, three or points i think it was the the week before so uh i won that so we're in the playoffs now uh you know in a 14 league it won't take long to finish this but uh we're in the semifinals obviously but uh i'm, I'm very confident that if i can get past this week against the last place team it should be okay but uh you know like it was kind of a recap is like i went on like a 12 week winning streak or no one could stop me and then I got a lot of injuries and then I ran out of IR spots and I just literally was running out of space and it was not a good situation. Like I, I couldn't give up cappers off. Like I wasn't going to throw him on, on waivers and just like risk that even mm-hmm. though he hasn't played, but uh, I've managed to fight through and uh, looking pretty good right now. All right. Well, that makes one of us. I have now been eliminated in the semifinal of my league for the third season in a row. I just cannot get over the hump. I won 14 out of 16 weeks going into the semifinal. So I was deserving to go all the way, but in head to head, sometimes the wrong thing happens. And it was that second. So I have Nashville goaltending is one of my goalie tandems. And that second game where Seattle, I think they scored seven goals on Saturday. That nuked all my goaltending stats, and I was winning most of the week, and then I blew it. I almost had a horrible blunder where I was out somewhere, and I had to go over the border into Buffalo on Saturday, and my phone was on roaming, but I didn't have 
roaming on, so I wasn't getting messages, and I didn't see that New Jersey had put Mackenzie Blackwood in because I had him on my bench. I have Vanacek, so I I missed Blackwood starting, and it, it almost cost me my match. It turned out in the end, my opponent got one more shot block that meant he won either way, but I was sick thinking I had cost myself a trip to the final, but luckily it was okay. I just lost. I just lost, and I lost to a, to the number eight seed which was a pain, but it happens. Sometimes you just have a bad week. That's the playoffs, baby. That's why they they have them. You got to find a way to adapt in those situations, and my team didn't. So now I'm entering a painful, painful rebuild. I have no first-round pick next season. My best keeper is like Carter Verhaeg. It's not It's not good. It's going to be a bad, bad year. I'm going to have to shamelessly tank. Uh, but hey, Stephen, we're here to help people who are still alive like you and like hopefully a lot of our listeners. So let's start with some pickups. Well, let's talk about the, the forward. And I was wanted to save him, but this was should have been part of my intro. Victor Arvidsson was the guy that essentially went in and saved my week, which was good. You know, it, there, again, not much was on the line there. It was literally like who was going to come second at that point behind me. But Victor Arvidsson, very helpful. And you should pick him up right now. Yeah, he's in fine form right now. He's finding that similar chemistry that he had with Philip Deneau last year. I believe. No way. No, it was Deneau. Yeah, it was Deneau and 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 uh, Trevor Moore and Arvidsson. I believe was the line that was functioning well last season as well. And he's available in forty nine percent of leagues. He's someone that I drafted and dropped after a couple months because he was dealing with it was illnesses, it was injuries. He was always in and out of the lineup, but it seems like his body's feeling right. And he's got 11 goals, 19 points in his last 19 games. And the key is Kevin Fiala is now on that line with Deno as well. And the Fiala factor has totally transformed that line's identity. They're scoring a lot. And I think Arvidsson has sort of returned to that peak form that he showed in, during his best years uh, with Nashville. And it might not show in his full season stat line, but for the last couple months, He's been quite an effective player, so you want to add him to your lineup, even in shallow leagues. Yeah, I like that one. The next one is uh, medium league pickups, and that is Dylan Strom. Yeah, Dylan Strom. Uh, it's weird to see him available in 65% of leagues when he has 20 points in his last 14 mm-hmm. games. How is that player available in 65% of leagues? I think there's just a stigma attached to Dylan Strom. People associate him with being the bust in that 2015 draft class, and they're more reluctant to trust him in fantasy. He also doesn't contribute to many categories. He's usually mainly a points and assist asset. His shots, though, his shot output, 1.90, it's the highest of his career right now. That's nothing to sneeze at as in terms of a shot rate. It's no longer a liability at the very least. And he's been a major asset and assist in points playing with Alex Ovechkin on that first line. He should be available. I think he should be available in maybe 20% of leagues, not 65. To me, that's ludicrous. And he's someone that can help you in the points category for sure down the stretch. All right. And we're going to Toronto for the deep league pickup of the week. Cali Yarncrook. Yeah, this is just... It's a matter of circumstance. Callie Yarncrook is playing with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. We know now, of course, Marner has been hot all season, but Matthews is really seeming to find his game now. His goal-scoring touch is coming back. It seems like he's healthier. He's obviously reunited with Marner. They're getting that chemistry back. And Yarncrook right now is the one getting the shot with them on that first line on the left wing, which has been sort of a revolving door in Toronto. He's got six goals, nine points in his last 12 games, Callie Yarncrook, available in 85% of leagues. And I'm just looking at the upcoming Leaf schedule. It's it's Florida, Ottawa, Detroit, Columbus. To me, that sets up for, I believe, what could be four barn burners. Just those teams in the bottom part of the East, they get a little sloppy defensively. And I think it sets up well for there to be some track meets. Maybe the Leafs are going to get scored on a lot too. They've been bad defensively, but that just means they'll be pushing to score as well. So I think we'll see 
another big game or three or four or five from Austin Matthews during this final part of the season, and Yarncroft could be the beneficiary on his line. I like that. The WTF pickup of the week is a guy who's had some ups and downs in his career, and that is Carter Hart, a guy who also faces a ton of shots. Yeah, he's available in 33% of leagues, which to me doesn't make any sense. That's why he's in the WTF category. I think people have associated the Flyers with just being terrible, which they have been in many ways this season. But a John Tortorella team plays fairly disciplined hockey. They've been bad, but they've also they've been competitive night to night, and you can see that in Carter Hart's numbers. 914 save percentage in the last month, 933 in the last two weeks. So he's been playing at quite a high level. We know the talent is not the problem. And it seems like the Flyers have not been a total liability in terms of hurting his ability to post good rate stats. You look at the schedule for the Flyers this week, Montreal, Ottawa, Buffalo. That's not too scary to me. And I think there's potential for a big game or two for Carter Hart in there, especially if when he faces Buffalo, there's no Tage Thompson. It could be possible depending on his status as the week progresses. So I think Carter Hart is someone that can actually help you if you're deep in the fantasy playoffs and you need a boost in net. Yep, I like that one. And to go with the tip of the week, we're going to stick with goaltenders, and that is leaning to matchups more than ever with goaltenders. Yeah, and that actually ties to the advice I just gave on Carter Hart. So when you're at this point in the season, you're splitting hairs, and you're trying to get that tiny little edge over your opponent. I think when it comes to goalies in particular, it's fair to not just look at a player's overall ability, but also pay close attention to what's on the schedule. And to me, the reason why that's impo- important is we're, we're sort of at this dead time of year where the tanker teams, the tanker teams are just extra bad. They've stripped down the rosters. Often they won't be reactivating players who are banged up because they think, oh, there's no reason bringing so-and-so back because we're not going to make the playoffs. So you can find a goalie who's playing those teams and the odds of a big game, I think, are higher than they would be earlier in the season when any given team can win on any any given night. So I think paying attention to the schedule is extra important when it comes to just trying to decide between which goalie to start or which goalie to pick up. Yeah, and that's one where goaltending, like I've said many times on this show, has been so valuable for me. And a lot of it is just like I'm looking at just specific workloads. And I, I love Sundays. I just, I've just i been utilizing that, the schedule manipulation stuff we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, where that's one where I'm always looking for a goalie that I know will always play on a Sunday. And that's typically a backup goalie, but depending on the team, that can work really well. And teams like St. Louis and Toronto have actually been very effective there. Yeah, that's a smart strategy. Absolutely. And speaking of smart, I love my little transitions, don't I, Stephen? But I'm really excited about our special guest that we have today. It's like it's almost like someone who's been on the inside with special information for us. Rachel Dory is going to come on. She has some very interesting experience working with, of course, the Canucks, New Jersey Devils, Sudbury Wolves, and we're going to apply some of that knowledge to fantasy hockey. Okay, next up, I'm very excited for today's guest. It is technically a former colleague of Stephen and mine at the Hockey News. She is a, a columnist of the Hockey News right now, a podcast host of the Hockey News, obviously very experienced working for multiple NHL teams in analytics, video analysis. I'm giving you a really long title as I introduce you. It's Rachel Dory. Please welcome the Puck Poolies. And Rachel, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's good to kind of be back at the same, I guess, um, podcast as you guys. I feel like we never got to do one together, so this is kind of fun. It's true. We're playing out a possible scenario. Now we're all in the same show, sort of in a way. And uh, Rachel, before we had you on, uh, we were talking 
off the air, if you will, about your your beginnings in fantasy hockey and how it started with doing statistics for your dad's pool. I know that was obviously your path. You're big in the data world. So could you just share that that origin story and, and on how you were doing those stats and how it eventually, if it did sort of connect your path to numbers and analysis and data in your career as well? Yeah, so I was a huge um I didn't play hockey till a little bit later on because the sport that I did primarily growing up did not allow me to do that. Um, and so I could really only watch hockey and study it, like go to games, that kind of thing, or like play mini sticks in my basement. Um, and I was really good at math, like I always have been. And so stats were a way that I felt like I could talk to my dad about something because my dad obviously always wanted me to play hockey and soccer. And I wasn't playing that at the time. And so um, talking about hockey was something that was super fun for us. Um, and I got super into statistics. And so by the time I was about 10, um, whatever, like whenever Yannick Perot came back to the Leafs was really like around that time frame when Sundin kind of broke that scoring record around there. Um, I knew my dad was in a hockey pool, but then I was like, Oh, like, let me help you out. And at the time it was more, um, he would explain the strategies and his pool is uh, a lot different. It's not one that's run online. You actually have to show up to the draft, you draft in person um, and it's points based. So you pick your players, you take like a certain number of forwards, certain number of defensemen and a team for goaltending. So every goal that that team gives up is basically just minus one. Um, and so all I had to account for was points and then later on injuries um, and goals against. And so I would start kind of like, oh, here are some like underdogs that you should look at because like I think that um, they might pop this year, or, like they might be underrated. And so that started when I was about 10. Um, and that was kind of my first foray into analytics because um, it's this is my 16th season helping my dad. I had to take one year off because I was in New Jersey at the time um, when the draft happened. And um, my dad's finished in the money 15 of the 16 years and we're due to actually win this year so it could be I could go 16 for 16 um but that kind of like when I saw that you could win money and I saw that it could be helpful um then I graduated high school and that summer the Corsi Wars on Twitter happened (laughs) and so I was like you know what I might actually want to apply what I know to hockey because I'm certainly not going to play professionally so this could be my way to get in and that was kind of how I got into analytics. It started with a hockey pool and now people in that hockey pool complain because I have access to tools that they don't. (laughs) (laughs) So kind of when was like the aha moment, like that stats and and hockey analytics were going to be a big part of your career? Um, I would say when I was in Sudbury. So when I was working for the Sudbury Wolves, um, I knew my statistics and I could rhyme things off. Um, but at the time, Drake Barahowski was an assistant coach with the team and he had started his own, um, stats company. Mm -hmm. And so I was the video coach at the time, but we also were taking stats. And so then it would populate and all these great charts would kind of come up and I would be tasked with explaining it to the head coach. And when the analytics, uh, intern would try and do it, he would look at him like he had five heads. And so then I'm like, here, give me that. And so I took a quick look at it, pulled up some video. I was like, okay, this is what we're seeing. This is what we're seeing. And I remember the first time he kind of looked at me. He's like, you're really good at this. And I was like, really? 
I was, yeah, like that was super understandable. Oh, okay. Uh, and so he just kind of came to me after that and, and really helped me build on that. And it was really um, that sort of first inkling that I had that, hey, maybe my niche is being able to explain the math because I know the hockey side and I know the numbers side. So uh, he really helped develop me in that. And then it kind of just blossomed from there. So I would say probably like 2014. I see. And when you filter fantasy hockey through the work you've done with Sudbury and New Jersey and Vancouver, are are there some takeaways, if you're speaking, let's say, to an outsider that hasn't worked for these organizations, any takeaways you could apply to give you a possible advantage if you're in a hockey pool, things you gain from the inside? Yeah, so uh, one of the big things um, that I, I knew on the outside, but like just had more access inside Obviously, I've never actually played fantasy hockey myself, like on Yahoo or anything like that. So I don't really know from that perspective. But having access to those inside statistics tells me who's going to pop, tells me who might fall, tells me um, injury concerns. So like, I'll give you an example. Um, This year uh, in, in the hockey pool with my dad, we got Tage Thompson in the ninth round. Well, um, we also got Eric Carlson. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that, like, the thing I made predicted Eric Carlson because I don't think anybody's did, but it absolutely did predict Tage Thompson. But my first big one where, like, my dad actually started to trust me was Panarin. Um, hmm. It was his rookie year. And at the time, that was when I was actually talking to somebody with an NHL team because uh, that was before I had gotten hired in New Jersey. And we were discussing um, some of the metrics that they had on the inside. And that person was sort of telling me, like, this is what we have access to. And I tried to recreate some of it on the outside. And that led me to saying, I think Panarin's going to pop when he comes over from Russia. And he did. Um, And so on the inside, you just get, first of all, more accurate stats. Um, You get more drill down capability. So I can look at... um, Mason Marchman's a great candidate from last year. You can Mm -hmm. look at where he was shooting from, where he's generating his opportunities from. Are they really dependent on shot assists? And are those shot assists dependent upon who he plays with? Um, Is his point production dependent upon uh, power play time or usage? Um, You can look at things like that. So um, if you're on the inside, you actually have the ability, and like I would never use this for fantasy hockey, but you can um, if you have access to the data. You can basically look and say okay like in this particular game so tonight um i'm trying to so edmonton's playing vegas i think that's going to be a great game what i would do is i would look at historically who's matched up against who in in that particular matchup so who has mcdavid played against and who has he played with and has he been successful and so let's say he's super successful um with mark stone like out of the lineup but not very successful with mark stone in the lineup because of like his usage and how Mark Stone uh, can shut players down. Well, Mark Stone's not playing tonight. So then I would look Mm -hmm. at that and be like, okay, like that's an opportunity. Um, So that's how you can kind of use inside stats. It's more of like a game to game basis. I like that. So with your experience working with some NHL teams, did you gain some appreciation for certain players or or player types to change your perception of kind of what their value might be like? Yeah. You know what? That's, that's something I would say um, I got my head turned really on on some stats on a, on a few players um there were some players i was higher on that um were just didn't pan out the way i thought they would and then there were some players 
um, that I was lower on that really, really popped. Um, for example, I was pretty low on Mason Marchment. Um, I always thought he would be like a, maybe like a 10, 15 goal guy. I did not have what he, the year he had last year. Um, and so like, that was something where I went back and I looked. And so having access to those stats um, allows me to kind of identify players who are maybe underappreciated. So like, I think Miro Haskinen, speaking of Dallas, um, is one of the most underrated players in the league. I don't think he's talked about enough. Um, I have a supreme appreciation for Quinn Hughes. Um, even though he plays in a Canadian market, he is not talked about enough. Mm-hmm. Um, he is so much better defensively than he's given credit for. And maybe it's because Vancouver hasn't been good defensively for like a long time. Um, but he is so much better defensively than he gets credit for. I think the same can be said. Um, I did not realize how good defensively Mitch Marner was. And as an extension of that, um, I really think that the, like the people who vote for the awards, there are a few winners in the NHL that don't get nearly enough sulky love. Um, like for me, there are three that come to the top of mind right away. And it's Mitch Marner, Mark Stone, and Valeri Nichushkin. I don't think that wingers get the same amount of attention and the only difference is is they're taking they're not taking face-offs but you have an example where like Mitch Marner is playing more penalty kill time and Valerian Nachushkin is consistently playing more penalty time than Gabriel Laniskog but they don't take face-offs and so they apparently don't count um and that's something that I've never really understood it also gave me an appreciation um, for players like at the bottom end of the lineup that can still have an impact on the game. Um, somebody like a Jesper Faust is a great example of that. Um, even uh, Pierre-Edward Belmer is another one. And so it kind of, it just gives you that opportunity to really drill down and say like, okay, what, what's going to come next? So I was really high this summer on Nils Lundqvist and Yuso Valimaki. And do I think that's sustainable for like the long haul? No, but they both had really good seasons. I see. It's interesting. You read my mind of Mitch Marner. I've been watching him closely as I get ready. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. To prepare my, my Selkie ballot, and I'm, I'm sort of going back and forth in my head, wondering about, like you said, the face-off factor, but it's definitely something that's on my radar. I haven't made the decision yet. We still have 10 games to go, give or take, but... Uh, I wanted to ask you, Rachel, about specific metric, metrics or stats. And this is ideally something that could be accessible on public domain. But I'm looking for that magic stat, something that the average fantasy player might not know to look for, but that you are aware of as a really good predictor of success. So is there a number out there, a type of metric you could recommend that we pay more attention to? I think it depends on what your pool counts. So there's a number of metrics based on different things. So if you're more primarily geared towards points, I would look at individual expected goals created because like there's a difference between while you're on the ice and what you are primarily responsible for. And if you look at what that player is primarily responsible for, that's something that can be carried no matter what situation they're playing in. Whereas obviously like Michael Bunting playing with Austin Matthews versus Michael Bunting playing with Alex Kerfoot is not going to have the same impact or Noel Achari, for example. Right. And so I would look at individual expected goals contributions. I would look at individual scoring chances um, as it pertains to scoring. I would also look at special teams. You want guys that are consistently playing on the power play. That's going to generate shots. That's going to generate scoring chances from a goaltending perspective. um, If you're looking at different goalies, I would actually be looking at teams. I would look at the style that they play. Do they give up high danger chances or do they give up low danger chances? I would much rather have a team give up 35 shots and only five of them are high danger versus a Mm. team that gives up 24 and like 17 of them are high danger because your goalie has a better chance of making the save. So when you're looking at drafting goalies, yes, you're going to have your Vasilevskis, your Sorokins, Shesterkins, Soros. But outside of that, you really want to look at the team that's in front of them because that's going to dictate a lot of the type of scoring chance that they're going to get and whether they're going to be set up for success in terms of making those saves and, and shutouts and things of that nature. Okay. I like that. So you're, because you've worked with teams, because you're so involved in, in the analytics side, kind of what is your general relationship to fantasy hockey these days? Are, are like, are you a current fantasy hockey player or, or did you like working with teams make you feel too close to it? Um, I've never really been, like a fantasy person, generally speaking. Um, And that might be because one, I have my dad's pool, but two, in high school, um, there was actually like a major fight over a football fantasy pool. And I just couldn't wrap my head around how you could be so angry that you're in a fist fight in the middle of the school on an afternoon in December when we're supposed to be getting ready for like the holidays and stuff. So I think that like kind of turned me off. But now, um, as it pertains to, like, my dad's pool, I go to the drafts. I build the models that predict uh, how many games a player is going to play. Because my dad's pool, there's no waiver wire and there's no trades. Your team is your team. So you have to account for injuries. Um, and so I, I focus on, on that and I focus on the strategy. I'll look at who was drafted where and the value of, of that player. And so for me, my relationship to fantasy hockey is kind of interesting because it's relevant in the end of September when we have to go to the draft and make the selections. And then it's relevant again, like next week or two weeks from now when we have to do the playoff iteration of it. 
And so the playoff iteration is you pick players similar. You have a certain number of forwards and defensemen. Um, but you have to pick players that you think are going to go far in the playoffs because once they're out, they're out. And so it's basically like this guessing game of who's going to do well and who's going to score on those teams. So that's kind of my relationship with fantasy hockey. Um, I will freely admit that instead of doing fantasy, my time is spent on gambling. Um, I, I use in the same way that you, Stephen, or you, Matt, would use it for fantasy hockey. I use those same statistics to inform um, my gambling and the models that I build for that. So I guess it's like a different kind of fantasy hockey. There's definitely a lot more money involved. Um, But it's one of those things where um, I guess I got turned off of it in high school and haven't really like found my way back to it. Cause like, I don't, a lot of people have fantasy pools that are full or whatever. And so I just have become the de facto kind of hockey gambling guru in my friend group. And everybody just kind of asks me. <laughs> that's, that's interesting because we do talk a bit of gambling on the show. So we'll remember that if you come back on in a future segment as a guest, I'm still, I'm still kind of, my mind is blown about this, this, fantasy football fight it makes me think of tommy fam and jock peterson if you're any baseball fans out there that yeah. was their fight last year over i think it was over fantasy football even though they're baseball players uh rachel this has been tremendous stuff um before we let you go is there anything you want to plug right now on the hockey news um yeah you can listen to the staff and graph podcast you can also listen to the hockey news action show uh where twice a week we we talk about various bets um and i implore my model to to do that um and you can find my work um on the hockey news i have a column once a week and um yeah that's that's pretty much it thank you for having me on this is so fun i never get to talk about really really fun things about hockey everything's always like doom and gloom lately for me um so this was great i really enjoyed it thanks so much rachel absolute pleasure and we'll have you on again for sure if you'll come back okay excellent stuff from rachel we'll have her back on again for sure and steven now it's time to turn the microphone over to you and let's talk prospects who are you watching carefully this week all right i'm watching sean farrell from the montreal canadians and at the time of recording this we don't exactly know what time he's going to be playing and making his debut with the montreal canadians but he is someone where he was drafted it was in the fourth round of 2020 and that was a tough year to draft prospects because well yeah you did get a, a pretty sizable sample size for most players, like at least 40 players for most 40 games for most junior players. He is someone who still was very small. And I don't know if scouts were totally super high on him. Now, ever since he got drafted, he's been one of the best prospects in the Montreal Canadian system. He's been one of the best NCAA players. He had a hundred point season in the USHL. So this is a guy that continues to produce at all levels. Now, Producing the NCAA does not mean you're going to be able to produce in the NHL. But going out there and getting 50 points as a sophomore is actually very hard to do. You know, not everyone is going to be like Adam Fantilli putting up like 60 points in their rookie season. That's not the norm. But for, you know, a point per game player uh, as a sophomore is typically a pretty solid player. So for him to do significantly more than that, get basically 20 more points that he had played games, I think is something you can't ignore. Now, a guy of his size, you know, you are probably a little concerned that maybe he's not going to be this super impactful guy if he can't score, but, you know, he can be feisty at points. He's very good defensively. He's got the speed, and he obviously knows how to score. So, you know, the one obvious option here is to look at 
Cole Caulfield and see what he does. I don't think they're they're that close there, but I do think that Sean Farrell is going to be someone who is going to give fans that like Cole Caulfield something to cheer about very shortly. So, uh, you know, yeah, another small winger, but you know what? I think he's... I think that he, he could play center. He could play the wing. He could just do so much for you. I'm really excited to see what he could do. It's interesting, Montreal, with the attack of the small man, uh, even when you factor in Lane Hudson on defense, they have mm-hmm. some very intriguing prospects on the way. So it'll be interesting to see how long it takes for those guys to stick in the NHL. Uh, Steven, now we're going to switch gears and talk a little betting. And I have a weird one, okay? I, I'm going to place two Stanley Cup futures bets. Boston Bruins plus 400 and Dallas Stars plus 1500. And why, Stephen, am I just busting out these two bets? Well, if you go to dailyfaceoff.com, there's a series I did on Stanley Cup ingredients. I looked at common traits of the past 10 cup winners and I identified seven that are most commonly correlated to championships. And they are having one of the heavier teams in the league, having one of the top 10 scorers, a top 10 goalie, being top 10 in Corsi having a top 10 penalty kill, having at least one player with a Stanley Cup ring, and having at least one trade deadline acquisition. And Dallas and Boston, they matched on six of the seven categories. Dallas was almost, they were 12th in Corsi. Dallas almost went seven for seven. So based on my formula, what it's telling me is the current Boston Bruins and Dallas Stars have the most characteristics that mirror those of the past 10 Cup champions. Based on that, Let's throw down some money on those two teams to make the final and see what happens. That's my bet. What do you think? Are we calling it the Tyler Sagan Bowl or the Anton Kudobin Bowl if they make the final? <laughs> I'm going to go with Sagan. <laughs> Sagan yeah. No, I, I, I can't disagree there, honestly. You, you look at the Bruins and how good they've been, and they're they're having this near historic season. It's hard to bet against them. Uh, then you look at the Dallas Stars where it's just like, they might not be the world's most exciting team most nights, but you know, you look at the, they made the Stanley cup a couple of years ago. They still have a lot of that same core. They're a much better team now than they were when they made that 2020 run. So uh, again, another team where in the wild West where there's no like super clear number one favorite, they could do some damage. All right. I, I dig it. And I think they have those pillars, right? They have the elite goaltender, Jake Ottinger, they have the elite defenseman, Mira Heiskanen, the elite scorer, Jason Robertson. I like having one of each position. A lot of cup champions also have that. And before we end our betting section, of course, a word from our sponsor, ProLine Plus, is not just another sportsbook. Being the only sportsbook that gives 100% of profits back to Ontario, ProLine has been your local trusted sportsbook for over 30 years, now offering Ontario sports fans more ways to play in-store, online, or take the game on the go with the ProLine app. With your favorite sports and events right at your fingertips, download the ProLine app and bet in-app with ProLine Plus today or head over to ProLinePlus.ca to learn more. So, Stephen, it's time now for, as always, some listener questions. we got a few this week, so what do you have? All right, the first question. I apologize if I say your last name incorrectly here. Eric Rinkima. In uh, head-to-head pools, what's the closest you've ever won or lost a weekly match? Oh, Eric, one of the old uh, faithful listeners in our hockey news days. I recognize the name. Uh, so, Eric, I have a good one for you. This one is as epic as it gets, I think, in terms of closeness. So I was in a fantasy playoff uh, first round against the top seed two years ago. Uh, we were tied, and I had beaten him in the regular season, so I somehow had the tiebreakers. We were tied, or I was one in order to tie him, which would have triggered the tiebreaker, which I would have won. I needed one shot on goal in the last game of the week, which went to overtime. 
I believe it was a game involving, uh, I think Cam, it was Cam Atkinson. I think he was still a blue jacket at the time. But I needed one shot on goal in overtime of the last game of the week on a Sunday from Cam Atkinson to advance. And I got the shot in overtime. It was that close. I was waiting down to the final minute and he shot the puck on net and that advanced me past the top seed. So that's pretty much as close as it gets. I'm going to go back to, I believe it was the 06, 07 season. Uh, so a very long time ago, and I was still quite new to it. Uh, I was playing in a pool with uh, friends and family. And uh, I we were in the, the, basically the season went all the way down to the end of the regular season. And I really needed Marty Broder to go out there and get a win in my last game to win. Well, the Devils played Scott Clemenson. And if you might remember this game, this is the one against the Islanders where Wade Dubovitz went out there and kind of stole the show. And it was a fantastic hockey game. And I don't know why, for whatever reason, it was because of the, the, you know, growing up in the Toronto area, the Leafs, their playoff spot was at stake. And, um, but uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was quite something. So uh, that was, that was how I lost uh, by a whole one point. That's an infamous game. If you're a Leafs fan around, around here. Absolutely. Uh, Okay. Who do we have next? Next question comes from Ranton and Raven. In regards to next year's draft order, do you go simply by season standings, do some sort of consolation playoffs to earn the first overall pick? I do like that one. Or do a weighted lottery? It's funny, Ranton and Raven. I, I read this question when it came in, and it really got me thinking that I should change what we do in our, our own league. So right now, we just go by season standings, which really, really promotes tanking. And it really messed up our league this year because – we have player contracts and, and McDavid and Matthews, Dreisaitl, a lot of the best players, their contracts were up this year. And so it was the ultimate year, the perfect year to tank. And the tanking messed up the standing so much that it created fake good teams because the teams that played that were in the same division as the tankers, they got to play those tanking teams multiple times. They puffed up their records and it turned out those teams were absolute pretenders. They got bombed out in the first round. And now in our final, we have the number seven and eight seed are facing each other for the championship because that's how messed up and fake the standings were as a result of this tanking. So I am actually recommending to our league that we implement a draft lottery, a weighted lottery. Right now we don't have that, but I think it's the way to go because I'm learning firsthand that otherwise you're really encouraging tanking. There was one year where everyone, we, we did a lottery system and I won the league and everyone was still like had a chance to win the uh, first overall pick, but the last place team got like a 50% chance and the last place or the, the team that won got uh, like a, like a 0.5% chance of getting it. And I got it. I got the first <laughs> overall pick the year after winning the championship. That's brutal. <laughs> so that was quite a way to do it. Uh, Dirk Duchesne asks, who do you like more as a goal scorer the next three years? And you, they have to choose one for their keeper, Austin Matthews or David Pasternak. Dirk Duchesne sounds like an, an automatically generated like coach name in, in <laughs> NHL 24 or something. Um, yeah, I think it's close. Obviously, this year we've seen David Pasternak leapfrog Matthews, and Pasternak's already over 50 goals. Matthews might not even get 40. Um, and, and Pasternak has historically been a lot more durable than Austin Matthews. So it is a legitimate debate here. Uh, I still lean toward Matthews for a couple of reasons. One, he's a year and a half younger. So theoretically, he is has more years of his prime left than, than Pasternak. The other thing is we don't really know what David Pasternak's situation is going to look like next year in terms of line mates. We don't know for sure that Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci, the top two centers on that team, are going to be back. So we just don't know exactly who Pasternak will be playing with, which obviously he's still a great scorer in his own right, but it still helps the quality of line mates that you have, right? So I'm more confident. Austin Matthews, yes, his contract 
after next season is not resolved yet, but we know he'll still be mainly riding shotgun with Mitch Marner or William Nylander on the power play with those two and Tavares and Riley and so on and so on. So I think Matthews' situation is a bit safer. And for his career, he averages 51 goals per 82 games. So pretty outstanding stuff. I could see the argument for Pasternak too, but I still lean slightly toward Matthews. Yep. I like that one. This one comes from Danny Huber. With Fiala back, I have to drop one of three players, Dawson Mercer, Jason Zucker, or Troy Terry. Who should I drop? Yeah, this is a tough one. I, at first, I was thinking of of going with Dawson Mercer. He had that big goal-scoring streak, but he's gone cold. But then I look at the deployment. He's playing with Timo Meyer and Jack Hughes and on the top power play. I just think it's too good to pass up. And even if he's been a little bit cold, theoretically, he should have some positive regression playing with those two. Uh, and Troy Terry... He has been hot, um, but I don't think he contributes to as many categories. He also uh, had to leave the Ducks for a personal situation. I believe it. I, I, from what I remember, his wife is expecting a baby. I'm not sure if it's to do with that, but I, I did remember seeing on Troy Terry's Instagram that they were having a baby. He's away from the team, so you don't really know what his status is going to be anyways. That makes the decision for you in a way. Jason Zucker, he's had a bit of a resurgent season because he's throwing so many hits. He's scoring, playing on Pittsburgh's second line, but he's also playing a lot more of a physical game this year, so he's been an asset in banger formats. So based on all that information, I would drop Terry of that group. All right, that's it for all the questions. Starting line of time, so what do you have for me? Okay, Stephen, well, I know you are a goalie enthusiast and you're a goalie mask enthusiast, so I wanted to give you a chance to name your favorite mask art designs of all time. So we probably can't put any pictures of these on the on the broadcast for, or the show, unfortunately, just due to photo rights, but uh, just picture it with me or search on Google if you need to. I want to start with Carter Hart's uh, orange uh, Carnage helmet. That guy, that helmet was so cool. I'm a huge Venom Carnage fan from the Spider-Man universe. You know, don't ask me how I feel in the second Venom movie as someone started screaming outside, sorry. Um, but uh, maybe Carnage is outside. Um, <laughs> but I just, you know, it was so cool to see Carnage involved in that. And I always wanted, uh, when I when I go-kart raced as a kid, to have a Carnage-themed helmet. And I haven't gotten to that yet. They're very expensive, but uh, I'll always love that. Uh, I guess kind of related is Stephen Valakett's uh, Spider-Man helmet from his New York Rangers days. Uh, you know, that one was just so simple. Uh, you could tell what it was. And, you know, given that it was in New York, it felt like it made a lot of sense because that's where Spider-Man and Peter Parker from uh, the first helmet I ever really got excited about and kind of why I wanted to become a goal in the first big first place was Jose Theodore's uh, gargoyle helmet that basically he wore for most of his time in Montreal had the gargoyles on there and it was a red and blue the colors worked you know at the time a lot of goalies, like you look at what Broder did and, and things like that, they were very simple, you know, designs, but they were iconic in their own way because they were simple. Uh, Theodore's looked a bit more intricate, but I thought it looked great. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky's glow-in-the-dark helmet, the one that he's... Well, he's had a few of those, but there was one where, you know, at the night you could see, like, the lightning bolts are all, like, uh, there's these eyes and everything that glow at night and getting to see that up close in person. I thought it's so cool. So, uh, you know, we haven't seen a lot of cool goalie helmet tech in the last couple of years. It's more for like making sure you're, you know, you don't get concussions every five seconds. But I think that, you know, seeing some glow in the dark elements is really cool. Uh, then I'm going with Patrick Laleen, uh in his Marvin the Martian helmet. I It's funny. I saw someone with a Marvin the Martian hat a few days ago. I'm like, why do I reckon? Like, I know. It's like, <laughs> why am I thinking about this? And it was like, oh, yeah, because of. The, the reason I cared was because of Patrick Williams' helmet. I thought that was super cool. Um, and to close it out, staying in Ottawa, actually, this one might be the most boring of all of them, Marty Gerber's plain black helmet. 
that he wore uh, back when he was really good with the Ottawa Senators. And at the time, it's because every goalies were starting to get more intricate helmets and things like that. And here he is, the starter of the Senators, and he's just like, screw this, I'm going plain black. And he played well. I remember seeing like pictures in the hockey news and the newspaper of him and just like thinking that was cool. And it, it kind of just made me think of like, you know, seeing all the minor hockey goalies wearing plain white and plain black helmets. It felt cool to see that. And it's part of the reason why I went from this cool custom go-kart helmet designed to plain black. So uh, completely random, I know, but I like that one. And those are my favorite goalie helmets of all time. I like those justifications. I really, And I, it kind of makes me want to see a goalie make a big comeback with the simple helmet. It's pretty badass. Jonas Hiller. Jonas Hiller had awesome ones. It was flat. Instead of the glossy one, it was like flat black, but then it had a gold cage. And I thought that was really cool. Mm, that's cool. I like that. Well, you never know. If goalies out there are listening, somehow, for some reason, maybe give that design a try. And that's it for this week's episode. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Rachel Dory. And thank you, ProLine Plus. And a lot of fantasy leagues do the two-week final, I know. So we're going to be back next week with more regular season talk. We will eventually be doing some fantasy playoff talk. We'll do an episode on keepers as well. But next week, we'll go traditional still and help you just in case you're still in your final. So we'll talk to you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.